0: Warm greetings to all our brethren, friends, and guests around the world. We wish you a very inspiring Feast of Trumpets, as we all look forward to the fulfillment and the meaning of this day. We look forward to the return of Christ. We look forward to the establishment of the Kingdom of God on this earth. If you have your Bibles, the term we always use on the telecast, turn to John, the 14th chapter. Our job is to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves for the coming kingdom of God, for the second coming of Christ. Years ago, I heard for the first time through Mr. Herbert Armstrong that Jesus Christ was going to return to this earth. I never knew that. I never heard that growing up in a mainstream Protestant church. Here in John, the 14th chapter, we have the good news The promise of Christ's return. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Yes, Jesus Christ would be a stumbling block to the Jews mainly, but also to some in our age today. Some of God's people have stumbled at the name of Christ because they think of a Protestant Christ and they're not thinking of the Christ of the Bible, which we preach and whom we, that is Jesus Christ, we look forward to His return. And we pray for His return. And Jesus said, Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions or abodes or dwelling places. In the temple there were actually rooms in which the priests lived. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to pl- prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. We all know that Christ has called us to become kings and priests and judges in tomorrow's world. For if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. When Christ returns, he's here on earth. And that's the good news. Back in 1959, all I could see was cosmicide. The superpowers of the Soviet Union and the United States had a great Cold War, and all I could see was a nuclear conflagration in which the whole world would be consumed. And then I learned that Christ was going to come back to prevent that, and it was good news to me. It gave me hope. Christ promises that He is coming again to this earth, and He's going to receive us to Him. That is good news. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, 2 Timothy 2. We ought to have that emblazoned on our mind. We need the vision of Christ's return. We need to be thinking of it regularly. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul was speaking, actually, of his death, his forthcoming sacrifice of his life. And he said in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, as he wrote to the evangelist Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. We know, as it says in 1 Peter four seventeen, that judgment must begin with the house of God. We are all under judgment now, but judgment does not have to be a painful process. It can be an encouraging process, a growth process. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Some of God's people don't like to be corrected. But Jeremiah said, Correct me, O Lord, not in your anger, but with judgment, lest I be brought to nothing. That's in Jeremiah 10. No, God wants us to be reproved, to be corrected, to be kept on the right path to His kingdom. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What a shame that some have gone after not sound doctrine, but speculation. We need the sound doctrine of God's Word. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want to hear something new, something exotic something strange, and yet God's people, God's ministry, have been teaching the fundamentals and the foundational truths for decades, for ages, and will continue to do so. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So we don't want to be taken astray or deceived. Verse 6, For I am now ready, the Apostle Paul writes, to be offered, and that the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. And yes, it is a fight. We battle against false doctrine. We battle against temptations of self, Satan, and society. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Brethren, we need to keep the faith. And as we keep this Feast of Trumpets, we are keeping the faith. We are following God's instructions in His Holy Word. Verse 8, "...Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing." Do you want a crown of righteousness? I do. But what's required? That we love His appearing. And this Feast of Trumpets acknowledges and recognizes and looks forward to that time when we shall receive the crown of righteousness unto all them also that love His appearing. We have a hope. We have an expectation. We look forward to His appearing. You know, when I go out to other church areas, sometimes people will say, Well, welcome, Mr. Ames. Glad to have you here. When Jesus Christ comes back, will that be your greeting? Will you welcome Christ with open arms? Do you love His appearing? The title of the sermon today is, Welcome the King. We love His appearing. We anticipate it. We expect it. We look forward to it. In fact, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. We're looking forward to the time when the whole world will have the kingdom of God set up on earth, and Christ will rule it with a rod of iron, with love, with discipline, and with the help of kings and priests and judges who are right now in training. We need to be ready to welcome the king that is coming. Let's turn to Revelation, the 11th chapter. Of course, most appropriate, you know that one by heart. And the scripture that is often sung in the Handel's Messiah Oratorio... The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Let's read that in Revelation 11 and verse 15. This is the Feast of Trumpets, not just the seventh trumpet, but the six trumpets bring us right up to the culmination of that great event. Verse 15 of Revelation 11, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Satan, remember, when he attempted Jesus, offered Him all the kingdoms of this world. Well, Jesus did not short-circuit God's plan. He did not give in to Satan's temptation. He waited and is waiting for the time when all the kingdoms of this world will be inherited by Him and by us. The meek shall inherit the earth. Remember, he tells us in Matthew, the 5th chapter. Verse 16 of Revelation 11. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and was and are to come, because you have taken unto you your great power and have reigned. God is omnipotent. He has all power. When you look out at the vast universe and see the billions of galaxies and the billions of stars in each of the galaxies, then you understand how powerful and how mighty God is and how tiny this earth is. And by comparison, and we on this earth are like little tiny grasshoppers, as he says in Isaiah the 40th chapter. But while we are small as grasshoppers, we're made in God's image, and He has a great calling and a great purpose for you and for me. Now, how did the nations welcome Christ? How will they recognize Him? We need to welcome Him with open arms. But the nations will not welcome Christ. Verse 18, And the nations were angry, and your wrath is come. And the time of the dead are the nations that they should be judged and that they should give reward. That you should give reward unto whom? Unto your servants, the prophets, and to the saints. Those who have God's Holy Spirit and are faithful are the saints. And them that fear your name. We've given several sermons on the fear and reverence of God. Who are going to be there to welcome Christ those that fear His name, who recognize the power, the authority, the office of God's name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in this temple the ark of His testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. Now, the return of Christ will have many signs, and it will recognize and will announce to the world the greatness of Christ coming and the announcement of the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of Christ, of God and of His Lord and of His Christ. Now, why are the nations angry, as it says in verse 18? Because they are deceived. And why are they deceived? Well, let's take a look at verse uh, Revelation 19, verses... Uh, 19 through 21. Because Satan has deceived the whole world, but he uses false priests, false religions, uh, false ministers to mislead people. Here we see the battle that takes place. The chapter 19 announces or reveals, describes the return of Christ. Revelation 19, verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against Him that sat on the horse, against His army. So there is going to be a huge battle. All the armies of the earth will use all their weapons of mass destruction, their weapons, their space lasers, whatever they have, to try to fight Christ when He returns. Verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that worked miracles before him, with which he had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and then that worshipped his image. Isn't it incredible that some of our former brethren have gone after the mark of the beast? They're not keeping Sunday, they're not keeping Sabbath, they're keeping Sunday now. How outrageous! How incredible! These both, that is, the false prophet and the beast, were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. They were deceived. Why were they deceived? There are some prophecies that have come out in other religions. There is the famous prophecy of St. Malachi. Uh, you'll find that in the Catholic Encyclopedia of the 19- 1913 edition. Uh, You can find it on the web at catholic-pages.com. This particular prophet in the Catholic Church, and again, the Catholic Church uh, has some controversy over it, but the Encyclopedia 1913 edition writes this about the very last pope. The last of these prophecies concerns the end of the world and is as follows, quote, In the final persecution of the Holy Roman Church, there will reign Peter the Roman, this is the predicted last pope, who will feed his flock in many tribulations, after which the seven-hilled city, meaning Rome, will be destroyed, and the dreadful Judge, with a capital J, will judge the people. The end, end of quote. So that is the final commentary by St. Malachi. And the Catholic Encyclopedia comments, it has been noticed concerning Petros Romanos, who according to St. Malachi's list, is to be the last pope, that the prophecy does not say that no popes will intervene between him and his predecessor, designated Gloria Olive. It merely says that he is to be the last, so that we may suppose as many popes as we please before, quote, peter the roman end of quote isn't it interesting that the catholic prophecy says the last pope will be called peter the roman on the gospel of saint john and on the apocalypse uh... this prophecy refers to in the commentary any endeavors to calculate according to it the remaining years of time and then there is a chart which uh, the uh... prophecies give And uh, let me just read this comment, uh, according to Pope number 267, which they designate as Benedict XVI, the current pope, Gloria Olive. The Benedictine order traditionally said this pope would come from their order, since a branch of the Benedictine order is called the Olivetans. I won't read the rest of it. But nonetheless, they say that after this pope Possibly with several intervening will come Peter the Roman. Other prophecies say that the Antichrist who is coming will actually enforce Saturday as the Sabbath. So you see how many people are going to be deceived because they say that the Antichrist will enforce the Ten Commandments, will enforce Saturday Sabbath. And of course, the true Christ is the one who's going to Teach the world the Ten Commandments, the way to peace, and the weekly seventh day Sabbath. But they will be deceived in thinking that the true Christ is the Antichrist. So you see why Revelation, the 19th chapter, and other sections of Scripture show that the world is deceived. Then, of course, there's the Islam religion. This is from the Sunday Sunday Telegraph, April 16, 2006. The frightening truth of why Iran wants a bomb. The Shia regime in Tehran believes that its nuclear weapons will speed the second coming of the Mahdi, writes Amr Taheri. And, of course, you've read that in the news. It was all over the news. But uh, let me just quote from this article. Last Monday, just before he announced that Iran had gate crashed the nuclear club, President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, Ahmadinejad disappeared for several hours. He was having a kalvat, a tete-a-tete with the hidden Inman, the twelfth and last of the Inmans of Shiism, who went into grand occultation in 941. According to Shia law, the Imam is a messianic figure who, although in hiding, remains the true sovereign of the world. And so here the Jews are expecting a Messiah. The Christians are expecting a Christ, but they will be, some, many of them, expecting a false Christ. And the Muslims are going to be expecting a Mahdi, who will be coming to rule the world and give it peace. And all of those three groups are going to be rather surprised. Uh, this is from the Quran. The Muslims do believe that Jesus wasn't crucified but rather he was raised to heaven with Allah and will return at the day of judgment to witness against his enemies. Uh, this passage from the Quran uh, brings out this point and this is from surah 4 157 to 159. They said in boast, that is, referring to the Jews, we killed Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, says the Quran, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow. For of a surety they killed him not. Nay, Allah raised him up unto himself, and Allah is exalted in power, Wise, and there is none of the people of the book, but must believe in him before his death. In other words, saying the Jews will not believe in uh, Christ Jesus. And on the day of judgment he will be witness against them. So that's the end of the Quran. And actually, when you read Zechariah the tenth chapter, or twelfth chapter, you find out that the house of David will mourn. Uh, Zechariah twelve, verses ten through twelve. And when you read Ezekiel 36, the second exodus, God's people are going to be mourning. They will loathe themselves, as it says in Ezekiel 36. And they will mourn when they realize, just as the Jews did on the day of Pentecost, that they had crucified the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. They will be very sad. Muslim opinion is not unanimous about Jesus' return, but the most common opinion is that Jesus will return at the end of age to do battle against the Antichrist. So there are these three groups who are expecting a Mahdi, expecting a Messiah, expecting a Christ, and all three of them are wrong in their specific prophecies. But they will be shocked and surprised when the real Christ returns. Now, let's uh, take a look at some other prophecies because we know on the Feast of Trumpets we're looking forward to not only the last trumpet, but the six trumpets that lead up to it. We need to prepare, of course, for this time, not only the Day of the Lord, which is the seventh seal or the seven trumpets, comprising the seven trumpets, but we need to prepare for The events mentioned in Matthew 24, leading up to the abomination of desolation. Let's turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter, Matthew Matthew 25. This day sounds an alarm for us, brethren. We need to be awake and alert, spiritually alive, spiritually watching. And Matthew, the 25th chapter, of course, gives us a warning as well. Matthew, the 25th chapter. You know about the twelve, ten virgins. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them are wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Oil being a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. Are you renewing? God's Spirit, in your mind, in your heart, every day. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go you out to meet him. Mr. Herbert Armstrong felt that he was one who made that cry. And we are still continuing that cry to let the world know and to let God's people know, The bridegroom is coming. Go you out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Verse 8, And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go you rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready, they that were ready, are you ready now? Am I ready now? This day helps us brethren this day helps us, brethren, to be alert to our needs and to being ready and prepared and while they went to buy the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut afterwards came also the other virgin saying, "Lord, Lord, open to us." but he answered and said, verily, I say unto you, I know you not." verse thirteen then we need to mark in our Bibles, Matthew 25, verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. And we know for some of our brethren who have, are sleeping in Christ, we look forward to the resurrection, which we'll comment on later in the sermon. But we realize that there are ministers, ministers' wives, brethren over the past many years who are now dead. They are sleeping in Jesus, as the Scriptures tell us. And we look forward to their resurrection. We look forward to being reunited with them when Christ returns. But we must stay spiritually alive and alert and awake. Watch, therefore, verse 13, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. We have to be prepared But we need to know also the events that take place. The sequence of events help us to be alert to what is lying ahead, what is coming ahead. We have had a chart in our telecast, and you can check the uh, telecast number 273, Framework for Prophecy. As we brought out in that particular telecast, there are four basic events that take place over three and a half years. You know the framework of prophecy. There's the great tribulation, which is mentioned in Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. Well, i just turn back a page here. And then p- verse 29 of Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. So you have the great tribulation and what we call the heavenly signs, also brought out in Revelation 6 as the sixth seal. And then following that, what happens? Then you have the day of the Lord that follows after that. That's brought out in Joel, the second chapter, verse 30, as I recall. So you have great tribulation, heavenly signs, and the day of the Lord. And the feast of trumpets represents the day of the Lord. All seven trumpets take place during the seventh seal, which is also the day of the Lord. Now there are four events that take place at that time. Let's turn to Revelation 11, we'll quickly review those. God wants us to know what lies ahead. As we, well, I had it in my scriptures, but my notes, but let's read it right now in Revelation 1. And verse 1, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants." Not to hide, but to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass." And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And then there is the blessing that we've emphasized so many times in verse 3. Blessed is he that reads. Some people are just uh, afraid or reluctant to read the book of Revelation. But if you want a blessing, and Jesus says, Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. We need to be awake and alert and knowledgeable of the sequence of events. Blessed is he that reads, Revelation 1 and verse 3. Let's turn to Revelation, the 11th chapter, and quickly look at those four events that continue over the same three and a half year period. That begins roughly, and we'll go back more specifically later on in another chart, but begins roughly with the abomination of desolation and then the Great Tribulation that begins uh, 30 days after that. Revelation 11 and verse 2. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city they shall tread underfoot forty and two months. This ties right in with Zechariah the 14th chapter, how the city is divided into two. Yes, for forty-two months, three and a half years, the Gentiles will control Jerusalem. So that takes place over 42 months. Verse 3, what else happens during that period of time? And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy thousand, two hundred, and score days, 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's 42 months of 30 days. And so the same period of time, that Jerusalem is trodden down of the Gentiles, the two witnesses are prophesying. And they have great power. They are God's servants. And we can be thankful for the witness that they will give in Jerusalem and to the world. Let's turn to Revelation 12 and verse 14. So the first event is Jerusalem is trodden down. The second event is that the two witnesses prophesy for 1,260 days. The third event here is in Revelation 12, verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place. Now, people have argued in the past, well, God can protect you wherever you are. That's absolutely right and absolutely true. But what does the Scripture say? What does God's Word say is going to happen to the church? She will be where? in the wilderness, into her place. Not places, but her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. A time in biblical language is equivalent to a year. So you have a year, two years, and half a year, or half a time, which is again equated to three and a half years. So the church is in the wilderness the same three and a half years, that Jerusalem is trodden down and the two witnesses are prophesying. There's a fourth event, the next chapter, Revelation 13, and verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, talking about the beast. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Now this happened typically in the Middle Ages, 554 to 1814 but the final representation, the final fulfillment of this will be during that same three and a half years. The beast continues 42 months. All of those lead up to the second coming, which we've already read out in the previous chapter, uh, Revelation 11 and verse 15. So we need to be aware of those events. The Great Tribulation lasts for twelve, two and a half years. The Great Tribulation lasts for two and a half years. Then come the heavenly signs and the day of the Lord one year to cover this whole period of three and one-half years. Now, there are other specific signs that God gives us. I think most of you are aware of them. Let's turn to Daniel, the twelfth chapter, Daniel 12. And on this Feast of Trumpets, we need to know the sequence of events. What happens? Daniel, the twelfth chapter Now, some have mistakenly said, well, these uh, days, the 1335 and the 1290 and uh, the 1260, or the time times and a half, which he mentions in verse 7 of Daniel, the 12th chapter, all start at the same time and end on different times. Therefore, we can speculate as to what happens at these various junctures. That is totally wrong because... If that were true, Daniel would not be resurrected until other people have been resurrected. So they all end at the same time. And what is the end of that time? Verse 13 But go you your way till the end be. And when is that end? For you shall rest and stand in your lot, God says to Daniel, at the end of days. He's going to stand in His lot. That's the resurrection when all of the saints and the prophets and God's people are resurrected when? At the last trumpet, as we'll see later in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Now, let's go back here and see what he says. He talks about the uh, time of trouble in verse 1 of Daniel, the 12th chapter. Such as never has been since there was a nation to the same time. This is a time unique in history. It's the same time as Jeremiah 30 in verse 7. It's the same time as Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. A unique time in all history. The time of the great tribulation. And he says that's going to last for verse 7. A time, times and a half. When he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Again, the whole pattern is consistent. But then he says in verse 8, Daniel says, "...I understood not, and I said, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things?" Again, Daniel would be standing in his lot at the end of days. Verse 9, he said, "...Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand." And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination of desolation set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. So there is something that happens 30 days before this whole period of events that we've been talking about, the three and a half years, the 42 months, the 1260 days, something happens 30 days before that. The 12, 1,290 days. What happens? Well, just read it. The daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. When does that happen? It's all very uh, comprehensive. It's all very uh, unified. When we look at it in Matthew, the 24th chapter. Hold your place here in Daniel, the 12th chapter, and go to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew 24. Again, what do we see as sequence of, event, of events? Remember, the Bible interprets the Bible the same way we understand the four horsemen of the apocalypse. When I was first coming into the church or coming into the truth, uh, my uh, Protestant minister uh, thought, well, the first uh, horseman of the apocalypse there is uh, is Christ. When Jesus interprets in Matthew 24, no, it's not resembling Christ. It's resembling false Christs, false religions. And so we go to Jesus himself for the interpretation. Similarly here, to find out what happens with the 1290 days, we go to Christ who gives us the framework. So he tells us there are going to be wars, diseases, famines. These are the beginning of sorrows. In verse 9, there is going to be uh, persecution. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And then the uh, gospel is preached to the world as a witness. And then what happens? Verse 15, "...when you therefore therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso reads let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains." So what does this signify? Jesus tells us that before the great tribulation begins which is the verse 21 and verse 22, there is a sign for God's people. And that sign is the abomination of desolation, the taking away of the sacrifices, which happens at that time. So there are 30 days, 1290 days, to the 1260 days, or 30 days in which God's people apparently have time to flee, just as Jesus said here in verse 16. And so, we find then that in sequence of events, the 1290 is the time of the abomination of desolation when it is set up and the sacrifices are taken away. Now, let's go back to Daniel 12 again. Now, notice here in verse 12, we've already seen the 1290 days in verse 11. Daniel 12, verse 12. Blessed is he that waits and comes to the 1,300 And five and thirty days. So this is the 1,335 days. What information do we have? He said, Blessed is he that waits. Those that wait are enduring. It has the sense of enduring persecution. How do we know that? Again, let's go back to Matthew, the 24th chapter, and see the sequence of events. What happens before the abomination of desolation? Remember the abomination of desolation is 1290 days before the end as it's described in Daniel 12. So 1335 days is 45 days before the 1290. What would you expect would happen during that period of time? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 9, "...then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for My name's sake." And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Yes, there is going to be strong persecution indicated in these 45 days before the abomination of desolation is set up. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Verse 12, Matthew 24. And because lawlessness, iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Will your love endure during those times of persecution? when perhaps some of your family will persecute you, or relatives. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Yes, as it tells us in Daniel, blessed is he that waits. You've got to endure, you've got to persevere through those 1335 days from that time of severe persecution right up to the return of Christ. And then the gospel of the kingdom is preached, verse 14, Matthew 24, and then what follows, uh, verse 15, the abomination of desolation, as we've already discussed. So you can take a look at that chart, and you understand then that you have the 1335 days, you have the 1290 days, which gives 30 days from the time of the abomination of desolation until the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Now let's notice one other factor here And that is the day of the Lord. Let's turn back to Isaiah the 34th chapter. Isaiah 34. We brought this out on the telecast several times in describing the framework of prophecy. Isaiah 34 and verse 8. Isaiah 34 and verse 8. Talking about the day of the Lord. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance. Remember, we'll take a look at that. The day of the Lord, the last year preceding the return of Christ, is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. Uh, Isaiah the 13th chapter also gives us an indication there. Isaiah 13, uh, starting with uh, verse 6. How will you? For the day of the Lord is come. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. And then it talks about the heavenly signs in verse 10 and 11 of Isaiah 13. And verse 13, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the earth shall remove out of its place. Well, let's turn now to Revelation, the sixth chapter. Revelation 6. So let's understand, brethren, that as Mr. Armstrong has explained for years... That the Great Tribulation is Satan's attack on the church and on Israel. But the day of the Lord is God's vengeance and day of wrath, as we've just read. So we find here in uh, uh, Revelation, the sixth chapter, talking about the uh, sixth seal, the day of uh, the heavenly signs, verse 12, Revelation 6. "...I beheld when He had opened the sixth seal, and, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon as blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of its place." What is this? Remember, this is just before the great day of His wrath. Verse 16, And here the great men of the earth said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So we have then the tribulation, great tribulation, which is the fifth seal. You read about that in verses 9-11. through Followed by the sixth seal, the heavenly signs, followed by the seventh seal, the day of the Lord. And that's mentioned here in chapter 8. So, chapter 8 and chapter 9, you have the sounding of the seven trumpets. But let's understand that the heavenly signs introduce the day of the Lamb's wrath, the day of the Lord, when he judges the nations. The first two and a half years of tribulation uh, generally are Satan's wrath, as we already mentioned, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, when uh, Jeremiah will be, uh, when Jacob's time is going to be troubled, the time of Jacob's trouble. Chapter 8 of Revelation. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So, this day, this feast of trumpets, brethren, reminds us not only of the seventh trumpet, but all seven trumpets. And they warn us of the day of the Lord. God's people will be in protection, be in a place of wilderness, the place of safety, as we call it, or her place, as we read in Revelation, the 12th chapter. But here we find that the seven trumpets are going to be symbolic of plagues that, and judgments that God pours out on the nations. The first four are more ecological in nature, where the waters become poisonous and bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and here <clears throat> again a third part of the stars and moon and sun are, are darkened. Then we have the last three angels that sound. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Excuse me while I have a bit of tea here. And the fifth angel sounded and saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. And here were power given to this uh, group that, like locusts coming out of the earth. Verse 3. And it was commanded that they should not hurt uh, the grass of the earth, neither any green thing or tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Remember, we didn't read that, but chapter 7 talks about those being sealed in their foreheads with the seal of the living God. And verse 5, To them it was given that they should kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. That they should not kill them, but be tormented five months. As uh, Mr. Meredith brought out in a recent sermon and telecast, these are probably biological and chemical warfare that elements that kill and poison and uh, more torment than kill. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. And in those days shall men seek death and not find it, and they shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as faces of men. We did a World Tomorrow telecast back in the 80s, and uh, we commissioned an artist to do a transformation of helicopters into locusts. And when you look at those helicopters, they, in a sense, with their stingers and with their missiles, uh, look like these uh, locusts as described here in Revelation. And they had breastplates, verse 9, and as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots and many horses running to battle. And had tails like scorpions, and their stings were in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. So we know that this day of the Lord, this period of seven trumpets, is at least five uh, months uh, in length and in time. So it's very clear here. Then we go on to the next one. The uh, fifth trumpet is the first woe. A woe is an expression of grief. Verse 12, "...one woe was passed, and behold, there come two woes, more hereafter." The sixth angel sounded. And here comes this great army from uh, east of the Euphrates. So you look on a map, as we've brought out in the telecast several times, the Euphrates River starts in Turkey and comes out through Iraq and empties into the uh, Persian Gulf. And so you find here that all of that territory east of the Euphrates is very significant in end-time prophecy. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. So they were prepared to do what? Verse 15, to slay the third part of men. I mean, the hundreds of thousands that die of starvation, the thousands that are killed in Genocidal conflicts, even today, will pale in comparison to this time of judgment on the nations. And he said, Out of their mouths, the end of verse 17, issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Almost like a nuclear fire going out. By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which did, were not killed by these plagues, yet repent not, repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of soul, gold and silver and brass and stone of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. We need to always, brethren, be committed to an attitude of repentance. Those that are killed, those who are tormented, are those who will not repent. And we've got to make sure we're examining ourselves. We need to make sure we're humbling ourselves. We need to make sure that we can be reproved, rebuked, and corrected by God through circumstances, through his church, through his ministry, through our reading of the Bible, that we are teachable and we must remain teachable. We must remain in a state of mind which we will always repent, that we will always be able to repent and to humble ourselves before God. So here we find out in the eighth and ninth chapters that you have the seven trumpets that that blast during that particular period of time. We've already seen that the nations are not going to be very happy when the announcement is made in Revelation 11 and verse 15. So how are we going to be ready to receive Christ when that announcement is made? We will all rejoice to know that the next major phase of God's plan is coming into action, and that finally, after These 6,000 years of man's experimentation with his own kind of religions and education and institutions and science and business that have gone astray will now be re-educated, will now be transformed, that a new world is coming, a world to come that will not be under angels, but will be under Christ and the saints. We look forward to that time. The nations were angry, as we read in Revelation 11, verse 18. But we need to be welcoming. We need to be rejoicing. We need to, as the Apostle Paul said, love His appearing. Let's turn back to Exodus, the 20th chapter, and see how God's people reacted at the presence of God. There have been specific times on earth when God actually set foot on earth In the presence of the Eternal, in the presence of the God of the Old Testament. Remember the time in Genesis when the Eternal and two angels appeared to Abraham and said, shall I share with Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing he's going to be Lord of the earth and inherit the earth. And he was, of course, explaining what was going to happen to Sodom. And Abraham negotiated with the Lord. And God made certain promises to Abraham at that time. Remember the time that the Eternal wrestled with Jacob. And, of course, the first coming of Christ. God was on earth. Emmanuel, God with us. And this great event, the seventh trumpet, will announce that Christ is coming. God is going to be on earth. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives in that day. As we read in Zechariah, the 14th chapter. So, God is coming to earth. How did God's people react to the presence of God in Exodus, the 19th chapter? Verse 16, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. Of course, this was Pentecost weekend, but God used trumpets to get announcements, to wake people up, to warn them, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mountain. And the trumpet sounded long, verse 19. And, of course, the people were frightened so much so that later on, after God spoke to them, that is, the one who became Jesus Christ, spoke to them the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, they said to Moses, chapter 20, verse 19, Speak you with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be for your faces that you sin not. We need that awe and that reverence always towards God, because He's going to reward those who fear Him. Let's turn to the first coming of Christ. God has set foot on this earth. Several times in history. And, of course, the great event of Christ's first coming, the fulfillment of many, many prophecies, was brought about in the birth of Christ. Now, when did that occur? Luke, the first chapter, we find an inspiring section here of the announcement of the Messiah. Hundreds of, or dozens of, not hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, showed that He was going to come, that He would be born of a virgin, that He would be betrayed by 30 coins of silver, that He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, that He would be speared in the side and pierced, and that He would be spit upon and ridiculed. And all of those prophecies came to pass. But here we find this awesome and wonderful occasion which is uh, misused during the so-called Saturnalia, or Christmas time. And there were shepherds abiding in the field, verse 8 of Luke, the second chapter, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. The Messiah was coming to Israel which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, or a feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. I enjoy reading these sections. The whole I would encourage all of you to read through the second chapter of Luke, where God inspired Simeon, um, who just held the Christ child in his arms. What an incredible privilege that was. And then Anna the prophetess, uh, verse 36, she comes up to the temple and gives a prophecy regarding the child, the Messiah. All of these are incredibly inspiring that occurred in that day. When did that happen? You probably do not have the old Tomorrow's World magazine, but um, the November-December 2000 Tomorrow's World magazine in our question and answers gives this question. Does the Bible indicate that Christ was born on December 25th? Answer. One key to the accurate dating of Jesus Christ's birth is contained in the biblical statement about Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. In Luke, we are told that John's father was of the division of Abijah, Luke 1, verse 5. I won't go through the whole answer here, but when you figure out when that course was and when John the Baptist was conceived and then Jesus was conceived six months after John the Baptist and you know when John the Baptist was born and when Zacharias, John's father, was in the temple then you can figure out when Jesus was, that is, the season Jesus was born. I'm reading from, again, the Tomorrow's World Q&A. This was during the last half of Sivan, the third month of the Jewish calendar, that is, the course of Abijah. Thus, his birth, that is, John's birth, nine months or so later, would have been in the spring of the next year. And since Jesus was born six months or so after John, he would have been born during the following autumn. And actually, you can bring it fairly close to either a couple weeks on either side of the Feast of Trumpets. So again, Jesus was born about this season of the year. So the Feast of Trumpets, the first time of Christ's coming, would have been an indication of what we're reading in Luke 1 and Luke 2. A joyous time. And the Feast of Trumpets for the second coming of Christ will be a joyous time for God's people. How awesome and wonderful it is. Well, we realize that the second coming of Christ, which we've mentioned, was turned to Zechariah, the 14th chapter, that He will actually stand on earth. I used to uh, ask people, and I was so excited coming back from visiting Israel and traveling through Jerusalem and asking the brethren in a Bible study, well, how many of you like to live in Israel? In Jerusalem, and I think probably out of uh, several hundred in the Ambassador Auditorium, about three or four hands went up. But we need to understand that will be our home. We will be with Christ in Jerusalem. Zechariah, the 14th chapter, verse 4, "...and His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof." Toward the east and toward the west. Though so Christ is going to actually stand on the Mount of Olives. I've been there several times, and perhaps many of you have as well. And the end of verse 5, And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with you. And He's going to be king, verse 9, over all the earth. What an awesome time that is going to be. I won't turn there, but uh, the very last verse of Ezekiel gives us a hint of Jerusalem. The Hebrew term there is Yahweh Shama, meaning the Lord is there. Uh, Ezekiel 48, verse 35. The name of the city of Jerusalem is also going to be called Yahweh Shama, The Lord is there. When we were traveling around uh, Jerusalem, our uh, Israeli guide would tell the bus driver, Sham, 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 meaning there, there, there. So Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. I won't turn there again, but Zechariah, the you know, second chapter, well, let's just turn there briefly, since we're in the same book, Zechariah 2 and verse 10, where he says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come. And I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Eternal. Yes, Jesus Christ, the returning Messiah, will dwell in the midst of Zion, will dwell in Jerusalem. And many nations shall be joined to the Eternal in that day, and shall be My people. And I will dwell in the midst of you, and you shall know that the Eternal Host has sent Me unto you. So what wonderful news that is when Christ returns To rule the whole earth and dwell there in Jerusalem. The Feast of Trumpets is also, of course, a warning of war. God's judgment on the nations is symbolized by the seven trumpets. Let's turn to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, in review of our observing these annual festivals. The Feast of Trumpets is the fourth of the seven festivals, so it's right in the middle of God's annual festival plan. Leviticus 23, and starting with verse 23. And the Eternal spoke unto Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Eternal. So we are observing the first day of the seventh month. And we look forward to the holy days that follow. Two weeks from today will be the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Three weeks from today will be the last great day. That's how God has planned it. The Jews call these days, that is, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, up through the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as the Days of Awe. They call it la Shana Tovah. The Jews around the world, I'll just read this one article, are preparing to celebrate the high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. One of the holidays' ancient traditions is to send good tidings to friends and family with the traditional greeting, la Shana Tovah Tikhatevu. This translates into English as, May you be inscribed in the book of life for a good year. Well, God wants us to be in the book of life as well. And as long as we are close to Christ, as long as God's Spirit's abiding in us and we're renewing God's Spirit's uh, day by day, we will continue to be in the book of life. Let's turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians, the fourth chapter. And we realize as we prepare for the return of Christ that we have to be alert, we have to be on guard, we need to be watching and praying always. And we must be renewing God's Spirit in us day by day. Philippians, the fourth chapter, and verse 3. And I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Remember when the seventy were sent out, and they were surprised that demons were subject to the name of Christ. And Jesus said, Rejoice not that demons are subject to you, but your names are written in the book of life. What a wonderful blessing and gift God is giving us. What a wonderful promise. We look forward to our transformation. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. We know that many of our brethren, the saints, are sleeping in the grave. And they will come up out of that grave. When the last trumpet takes place. I remember someone trying to challenge me and saying, Oh, well, how do you know that the resurrection takes place at the seventh trumpet? Well, it happens to be the last trumpet. The last of seven. And what does 1 Corinthians the fifteenth chapter say? Verse 52. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Yes, the dead in Christ shall rise for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. It's at the seventh trumpet, the last trump. And of course as he says in verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And many of the Mainstream religionists today say, oh, we need to keep working and teach people to come under the kingdom of God. Well, yes, we need to teach them to come under the kingdom of God, the government of God, but the kingdom of God will not literally rule on the earth, and we will not inherit the kingdom of God until we are born into the kingdom of God as immortalized, glorified children of God. For this corruptible, verse 53, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We do not have immortal souls. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you thank God for the victories He gives us. I pray for little victories, successes, achievements, overcomings, and triumphs in Christ, as He tells us in 2 Corinthians. He gives us triumphs. He gives us victories. And remember this exhortation, this last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Those who have gone astray, those who have gone after teachers because they had itching ears, are those who have not, not had their heart in God's work. And they've not recognized what God has called us to do. He's called us to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. We have to prepare ourselves, the church and the world, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. No, we look forward to the time when we will be with Jesus Christ, when we'll be transformed from flesh to glorified spirit beings. Let's turn to Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians 3. Here we see again that our calling... And our ultimate destiny is to become a part of the born-again, immortalized, glorified family of God. What will we look like? Philippians 3 and verse 20. For our, con- uh, our conversation, or our citizenship, is in heaven. For whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking for Christ's return? Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Now, as it tells us in Revelation 21, there'll be no more pain or suffering or death to those who are born into God's kingdom who have that glorious body. Turn ahead to Colossians, the third chapter, just over a couple pages. And I always love this scripture of many hundreds of scriptures. But he says in verse 4, Colossians 3, When Christ who is our life, well, your spiritual life is dependent on Christ living in you and God's Spirit flowing in through in you and out from you. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. The wise shall inherit glory, it tells us in the Proverbs. But Christ is our life. And we will appear Him with glorified bodies. No longer that vile body we just read about in Philippians 3 and verse 20. The King is coming. And He tells us to watch and pray always as you know in Luke 21 and verse 36. He wants us to be doing His work. and We have a lot of work to accomplish and we need to keep enduring to the end as we read earlier. We need to keep Loving Christ, loving our Father, loving one another, and not getting bitter, and not getting, dis- not getting deceived as well. So the King is coming, and we need to pray for more laborers to go into the harvest. The trumpets awaken us to watch. They call us to be spiritually alert and awake. And Christ is going to continue to work through us, that so we can fulfill the mission He's given us. The Ezekiel warning to warn our peoples, as we have been doing and will continue to do through the telecast and through the booklets and through the Internet and through Tomorrow's World magazine. We look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles. We look forward to the last great day. We look forward to the Day of Atonement coming up soon. So, brethren, let's prepare spiritually. Let's prepare physically. Let's thank God that Jesus Christ is in charge Let's thank God that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And we've been given an awesome privilege, an awesome calling, and an awesome gift of God's Spirit, and of course the gift of His Son to pay for the sins we've committed, to pay for our penalty. So pray for His return. Turn finally, brethren, to Revelation, the 22nd chapter. Revelation 22. And as you know, I've asked in some of my sermons... Do you know what the very last verse in the Bible is? It's a wonderful verse, because God gives us comfort and encouragement through it. Verse 21 of Revelation 22, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That is His blessings, that is His mercy, His pardon, His unmerited gifts and blessings. So may God's favor be with all of you as we look forward to the fall festival. Verse 20, the Apostle John writes, He which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And what does John respond? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Brethren, I hope that that's our prayer on this Feast of Trumpets. Let's continue to do the work. Let's grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And let's love His appearing. Let's help the world prepare For the greatest event since creation, let's all be praying, Your kingdom come, and even so, come, Lord Jesus. May God bless you all on the remaining time of this Feast of Trumpets, on the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day. May God bless you all.